Father. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. There your heart will also be. This whole subject of money management, this really, for me, sums up the whole issue of money. It's addressing where our hearts are. And uh, I did say to Phil there, and a bit, bit tongue-in-cheek, guys, that Julie was very gracious and, uh, you know, some hard-hitting things, but, you know, you'll get a bit more edge from me, if that's, if that's okay. You just know who I am and what and I'm not. And Phil just says, just keep being who you are, and I will continue to, to, to be that. I'm not trying to be aggressive or, or ugly or rude. I never do that. You have to know that. But I, I do feel that at times it's tough talking. I, I respond well to tough talking, actually. I can be with people in offices and come out crying. I've had an absolute, you know, blasting off somebody. I had that about two years ago when I went to see David Sherman and I had a real blasting off him. Uh, I was in floods of tears in his office, but as I came out, I thought, well, I needed that. That was a bit tough talk that was addressed, but I needed that. And uh, this is where we are today because the reality is this whole issue of money, we've got to really get to get a, get a, a grip of, of what we do with it and where our hearts are. And what is it all about? Why is God giving you what he's given you? It's so that you can be a resource. And we need to be people that have money in the right perspective. I want to talk about the number one myth about money. And uh, it's a big subject. And if we don't crush this particular area with regards to money in the area of giving, then we will never really uh, become all that God wants us to become. Um, this Bible passage that we've just read a moment ago, the issue is that, you know, we, we do not store up. It's that whole, that whole sense of hoarding for those who were here a couple of weeks ago. You know, there is, I absolutely believe what Julie's saying about saving, but always I have a check in the same way that spending, overspending is bad. It's the same with hoarding. If we're people that are continually hoarding more and more and more, I think God has major problems with that. I really do. And we must recognize the most important thing about money. I want to illustrate something. It's not my own illustration. I heard somebody do this. But I wonder if I could just have two volunteers this morning. I wonder if I can have Hank and if I can have Dave. We'll have two men out today. Okay, so... Um, I want to use Hank as being us, okay, and Dave represents the bank. <laughs> Bit of booing and hissing going on. Okay, so Hank has a thousand pounds in his hand, and uh, yeah, Julia, we've got the thousand pounds. Okay. We keep getting a bit of feedback here, Paul. I don't know whether it's possible. I just keep getting a little bit of kickback. Um, and basically, he deposits his thousand pounds into Dave, the bank. So, Dave has now got the thousand pounds. But one day, Hank needs to withdraw some of the money from the bank. 
And when he goes to the bank, he realizes that they've used all his money. They've spent it on something else. Now Paul had put his trust in the bank, sorry, Hank had put his trust in the bank and he thought that they would be absolutely trustworthy but unfortunately the bank have gone and used it on holidays, staff parties, new office furniture. Actually it sounds just like the bank, doesn't it really? I was just realising that and in my notes it says, now we know that would never happen but it has, it just has. The bank have, I'm prophetic. The bank have used that. The bailing out. I'm getting political now. So, the bank have used. Dave's used all the money. And Hank wants to withdraw it, but there is no money. Now, let me just twist this just onto another, onto another uh, uh, level. Let's look at it a different way now. Instead of Dave being the banker and Hank being us, I want um, uh, Hank to be... God, okay, and Dave, Dave is us, okay, so can I have the money back, so let's put it this way, so Hank is God, Dave is us, so Hank gives Dave a thousand pounds, and says, there's a thousand pounds, you know, you can use that in whatever way you want, you see, we must understand that God owns all the money anyway. So when you say that you, you have £2,000 in a salary or you know that 3000 is mine or that 1500 is mine, I want to tell you, get a grip. None of it's yours. None of it's yours. It's all God's. That was a revelation to me about five, six years ago. Must be. That I thought all this that I had, actually none of it was mine. I lived like it was mine. I lived like it was all mine. But then I realized, a revelation came to me that actually was God's. And Psalm 50, for those who are taking notes, Psalm 50 verse 12 says, God declares, the world is mine and all that is in it. So all the money, all the time, all the resource, everything, all the stuff that we have is God's anyway. Even the kids. I have four children, as you know. The kids aren't mine. They're actually, they belong to God. I'm just a steward of the, of the children. The steward of that at that time. We must understand that. We're stewards of everything that God's places into our hands. But you see, the issue is God, Hank's given, God's given a thousand pounds to us. If we're not careful, we're like the bank. We go and blow it on everything but, and when God comes knocking and says, I want you to be a resource to that particular area, what have we done? We've gone and spent it on parties, furniture, holidays, cars. And then we say, well, we haven't got money to give. This is where the edge comes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God says, excuse me, I've just given you a thousand pounds every month. You say, well, I've worked for that. Yeah, but who gives, who gives man his strength? Who gives man the wisdom? Who gives man opportunities? Because you need to know God can open doors and he can also shut doors. God can give you a job and God can take a job away. God can give you a business and he can take that business away. I've experienced that, okay? We have to recognize that this is God's. It's all God's. And if we're not careful, we live our life like, well, it's mine. And then what's going to happen when God comes knocking and says, excuse me, Dave, that money that I gave you, I want you to put it somewhere. I want you to be generous and giving. You say, well, I haven't got it. I wonder how God would feel about that. Go and sit down, guys. Thank you. You see, we must understand something. 
we must understand this really important, that we are managing what God has given to us. You might say, well, I already know that, Christian. Still write it down on your pad. I am only managing what God has given to me. Or another word is, I am a steward. It's not that you've got a yellow jacket, fluorescent jacket, and you walk around with a badge. I'm a steward, watch out. Have you seen them? They're, 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 I think they're hilarious, you know, I'm Mr. Steward. Okay. You see, a steward is, some, is someone who manages another's affairs. That is, what we, that, that is what a steward is. It just manages somebody else's affairs, somebody else's resource. It is interesting that actually, I think it's absolutely right. Stewardship is not really used anywhere other than in Christian circles, that whole word. word. We use it as a person with a fluorescent jacket, but we don't look at the whole thing of stewardship. And why don't we look at it in the world? Why doesn't the world look at this word stewardship? Because it doesn't like it, and I'll tell you why. Because everybody says, I'm an owner, and I'm an occupier. Write those down. It's mine. Can you remember that, that, that uh, Nemo? Anybody watch uh, ne- the Nemo story, the Disney? I'm sure it's off there. Come on, got to own up if you've watched Nemo. Oh, you saddos if you've not. It's a brilliant film. And uh, in it, it's about a little fish. This little fish has lost his dad. And the dad goes looking for him. Actually, there's a bit of a Christian theme there. (laughs) He goes looking for him. Because it's his son. And uh, along the way, Nemo finds himself in some dangerous waters and some difficult times. And how many of you know about seagulls? Has anybody... Skeggy, or particularly down Cornwall, you've just bought fish and chips. And they're circling, aren't they? And have you ever been there? Are you serious? They're circling. Has that happened to you? Took his pie. Flipping it. I bet he got right one on the. The circle, I've seen them. The circle around these, these seagulls. Well, let me get back to the story of Nemo, finding Nemo. There's a seagull, I'm pretty sure, that all they repeat are the words, mine, mine, mine. My, my um, son Isaac, when he was dead little, I remember on one holiday, we was with my mom, and he kept going into a, into a room and grabbing something and then running off, and he was going, mine, mine, mine. And we called him, we called him the little seagull because he's just a word that he'd got. He only, only little at the time. But let me just get, draw you back in. We all say, ah, oh, that's funny. Yes, seagulls flying in. And that's how we live. So, Julie, um, is it possible that we could just, you know, just, uh, would you help us with the lift? Well, I really can't. Um, no, it's, it's going to put me out of my way. What we're saying is, mine, mine, mine. I stand up at the front of the church. This is where I get, I'm not, really not meaning to be edgy. We're launching Food Bank. We really need everybody's help. It's going to cost us some, some money. It's going to be ongoing. We want to feed the poor. We want to really help them. And there's people in their heart of hearts saying, well, they should help themselves. What we're saying is, mine, mine, mine. And actually, none of it's yours. None of it's yours. It's all God's. But God says, I will give you some of the resource and I want you to be a steward of it. 
That is why I really do think that God is very, very displeased. We're all rich. You've heard me talk about that. And if you haven't heard, you need to just get it off the podcast. We're all rich. But those super wealthy people, I really do believe that God will bring them to account for what they've done. I honestly do. I don't know what the statistics are. I, didn't, I, I haven't got them here. About the world's wealth. What was it, Phil? I know it's on the podcast, but can you remember? Can you quote it? and the equivalent to the rest of the 95. Now I'm pleased to say for those who are listening here and for your notes, some of the super wealthy people that you may be familiar with, the people like the Warren Buffetts of the world, the Bill Gates, they're just setting up foundations, giving away huge amounts of wealth. I understand that Warren Buffett had given away, was it 99% of his wealth now while he's still alive. Now you could say, well, he's still living on 200 million. Yeah, but when you've got 20 odd billion... You know, that's that's a big lump. So I have to honour there's great people who are doing some great things. But let's just draw it down to me, because you, you, you've heard us say, if we if we earn twenty thousand over the next years of our earning, we've earned a million. What have we done with our million? What have we done with our million? And God will bring us to account, because we are stewards, and we have problems, and the world has problems because it's an owner, and it's an occupier. This revelation of being a steward changes three areas. First of all, when we understand that we're a steward, it changes the way you handle debt. We've heard about that today. If it's not yours to handle in the first place, this debt, you say, well, it changes the way I handle debt because actually it's not mine. I don't want to be getting into debt. I don't want to be getting God into debt, if that makes sense. There's a revelation. I don't want to get God into debt. Because it's God's resource. Secondly, it changes the way you do your budgeting. Because you say, actually, I want to, what God's given to me, I want to be a good steward of it and handle it right. And thirdly, it changes the way that we give. Because it isn't our money, it's His anyway. Now, these three areas and these two sessions, just look up for a moment. We really are passionate, and I'm so pleased with the turnout. And these are, we're going to do more of these. And we really want the momentum to grow. Because this is absolute discipleship stuff. It's just discipleship. You've heard me say, how can we say, well, I want to be the best in my marriage. I want to be the best in my work. I want to be the best in my personal character. If we're not being the best in this area of finance. It's like an MOT test. You only need one failure. And it's only one area. It's all what? Failed. I took my little focus. Yes. Six years running. Straight through MOT. Come on. 101,000 miles on the clock. They all say, what? I absolutely love that car. Really love it. And uh, it failed. They called me and they said, it's actually failed. I said, what on? The horn. <laughs> and this is even better. 
I then got Annie and I said, I've got, I've got a horn now. And she says, what is it? I says, it goes, So I says, when I'm coming by you at school, I'm going to press this horn. You haven't got it. Yeah, I have. You haven't. You won't. Yeah, I will. No, I haven't. It's just, that's all it does. So Annie, I've let you into a revelation. It's just, okay. But I can still wave out the window, Annie, at you. Okay. So we only need one. We only need one area. And we've all failed. This is why this stuff is so important. Julie addressed the first two. I want to just over the next few minutes just take a look at giving. You might have been here two weeks ago when I addressed being the best in giving. And some of it, some of the points are in that. But it's still worthy of a look again. I really pray that we as people just get liberated. I understand, I get it, I get debt. You've heard me talk at different times over the years, for those who have been around the church for some time. We came here with, I say a lot of debt, we came here with debt. Uh, And we've had to work that through. I, I, I said at the very beginning, we've not been the most sensible. We earn very, very good money. That's not a boast, it's just a reality. And yet, how stupid was I that we didn't do the very best with the money that we had? Made some bad choices, made some good choices as well in, in, in the midst of it, but made some bad choices. Uh, but thanks be to God, I can genuinely say the only debt that we have is a mortgage. Yeah, it's a sizable mortgage because of some of the bad choices. But with regards to other things, cars, credit cards, holidays, none of that, we pay for everything. I'll come on to what, how, how that happens. We pay for everything. We just have not got there. But I have lived there, so if you are there, I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Because it's, I really do get that. The pain of it and the, and, the, and the tension and stress it creates is massive. But anyway, with this area of giving, most of us will know that the Bible encourages us to give a tithe. And you just need to put in your notes Malachi chapter 3. Because of time, we really have not got time to just go through point by point. But it's littered through the Old Testament and the New Testament. If some people say to you, well, that's Old Testament. It is not. It is New Testament uh, uh, theology as well. In fact, it's just this area of giving. You know, it's just this area of people giving. And, and actually, I don't like to, at this moment, talk about the tithe as being 10% because some people who can give 20, 30, 40. Let's give 20, 30, 40. Again, this is no boast. There's been a time in our life, in our earning, when we were actually giving way more than 10% in the life of this church. Way more. I'm not going to tell you how much more, but way more. Because we could. Because we had the resource to do it. Why would we want to keep just pouring it on ourselves? And I wasn't giving to get, so God would bless me all the more. I was just giving because I was able to. And I thought, this makes me feel good. And so we need to be people that give our tithe to God. This is not a salvation issue. Please don't misinterpret my words. If you don't tithe, or you just give the national average of 3%, I want to tell you, this will not stop you from going to heaven. It will not stop you from going to heaven. But this is an instruction from the Word of God. And if we want to be fully devoted disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, and live in obedience, then we will do the things that He's asking us to do. People immediately, and we always say people get a bit edgy when we're talking about money, and thankfully that environment isn't here. But oftentimes, as a pastor, you must understand, as soon as I mention money, I feel like everybody just closes in on me. 
do sometimes feel that. Because then it just goes a bit... And I could understand if we were addressing it every week. We're not. And neither, and we've tried to steer away for your information over and around the life of the church to just doing it on January. We're going to teach it. We don't, I don't want to go down that route. Because otherwise, it takes away the joy of giving. What does the Bible say? God loves a cheerful giver. He does hilarious. Ho, ho, ho. Cheerfulness in our giving. Our giving to each other. How giving to God. I've heard of stories of churches that still to this day, as soon as you say, right, we're going to give our offering, there's applause that goes up in the churches. Literally. Because they just can't wait. It's an act of worship. They just love to give. And this is an attitude thing in our giving. You see, I'm not, God's not asking us for 100%. He's asking us for minimally 10%. Proverbs 11, verse 21, and again, there's so much, so many references here, but I just want to give you some understanding of this whole attitude. Because Proverbs 11, verse 24, the second part of this verse says this, Another withholds unduly, and they come to poverty. You see, there are people who give, but they're giving begrudgingly. They'd be giving, giving, well, that's because the Bible tells us I have to. That's not the kind of giving that God wants. God wants a cheerful giving. Proverbs 11 verse 24, first part says this, One gives freely, yet gains even more. I have said this many times. I don't understand this verse. How can you give and then get even more? It's impossible. If I've got £10 and I've given away £10, I've given away £10. That's the end of it. But God doesn't work like that. He says, you give away £10, then I'll put my take on this. Not every time, but I'll match it. I remember proving that as a 15-year-old. If you've heard this story before, please forgive me. As a 15-year-old, all joking aside, my dad never carries money. It's, I've caught that habit from him, but I'm trying to do better, Julie, in that whole area of having cash. My dad's never got money on him. It wasn't even that he'd got a card on him. He just had nothing on him. And I remember being at a youth camp in Peterborough all those years ago, and it was a joint family celebration thing. And we were there with a group of guys, and I remember being incredibly challenged at the beginning of the week. This is absolutely true. I think it was about 15 at the time, probably 14, 15. And they, they just said, look, we want to just give you best offering. There wasn't anything pumped up. I can even remember now who was taking the offering. And I had £10 on me for that week. That's all I had, which was a lot of money back in 1980. <laughs> and we had to do all that we needed to do. And I remember taking that £10, seriously, I didn't tell anybody, and I put it in the offering. I was with a group of four other lads. Well... Well, just have to trust God. That's just, there was no spiritualness about it. I just thought, I'll just prove God at his word. Put it in. following day, my mum and dad came across just for the day to Peterborough. Didn't say anything to them, didn't say anything to anybody. Wasn't even looking for anything. I, I don't know what I was thinking, actually, but I just did it. And I remember my dad, which, you know, me and my dad had become a lot, much more with hug and kiss and now and just, there's just a lot more warmth. But then, I don't know, you know, I know it's on tape. He probably didn't know how to handle me and... I didn't know how to handle him. Probably a bit awkward at 14, 15. And I determined not to be like that with my kids. Uh, but I remember him getting hold of me. And just hugging me. 
and, and then saying, I've got something for you. He put some money in my hand. Now I'm sure he put 10 quid in. It was certainly no less than 10 pounds. He, he put 10 hours just. I just, and, and from my dad, the most unusual source. <laughs> my mum, I could have understood, but not my dad. You see, one gives freely, yet gains even more. Verse 25 of 11, I, I bet my time's nearly up, isn't it? So, a generous man will... Verse 25 of Proverbs 11. A generous man will prosper. A generous man will prosper. Let me say it again. A generous man will prosper. Prosper. This isn't prosperity. This is just generous man. Hey, hey, God's looking for generous people. And he says, generous people, you're going to prosper. Generous people, you're going to prosper. Generous people, you're going to prosper. This is an attitude. This is a heart thing. Do not store up treasures. Remember what we said at the very beginning? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He who refreshes others will he himself be refreshed. My notes have gone out the window now, Julie. I do apologize, but I have to just say at this particular point, in this area of giving, it's well documented. There's a group of families, Julie and Chris were one of them. We had a nightmare time. We're not about to go all over the history, but three years ago, because I drew a line. Can you remember? I drew a line in that sand on that Sunday morning. For those who were around, I drew a line in the sand. But we had a nightmare of a time. We lost a lot of money, lost a lot of friends. A lot of people lost a lot of things, not just us. And at the end of the day, it's none of your business, but we lost a lot of money and our mortgage shouldn't have been anywhere and went up and but I remember just continuing to give to God and just continuing to be trying to be a blessing my head was down I was all over the place I just was suffering badly and uh, we'd never had this before some of you have heard me say we never had envelopes pushed through the door never had that never, never had any kind of token of things given to us just never worked like that with us that all changed about two years ago. Because there's one particular occasion coming up to Christmas. I remember hearing the clattering of the, of the letterbox at about half past seven at night. I thought, that's strange. So I went and I just saw a car that I didn't recognize just drive off. I thought, that's very strange. An envelope on the, on, the, on the mat. Didn't knock on the door. The lights were all on. They knew somebody was in. The cars were there. Open this envelope. And as we opened this envelope, me and Caroline, there was 500 pounds in this envelope. 500 pounds. I'm not ashamed to say me and Caroline, I, ju I just wept. I just, I was, I was in a, not a great place, just wondering how it was all going to work through. And I remember just weeping before the Lord. Now they had put on who it was. So I waited half an hour, I thought if they get home. And I called them. And, uh, just, just spoke to them and just, again, just wept. I think they were weeping on the other end of the phone. It was just an amazing time. And then there was another occasion, a couple of days later, somebody just put something in my hand and just said, we just want to give you something. Now, this person really probably couldn't have afforded it themselves, but they just put something in my hand. 
I, I really can't remember, but it, it was certainly 30 or 50 pounds. So in the space of a few days, somebody had given us, that, that, that got us the Christmas, you know, just through and what we needed to do. I've never shared that story, I don't think, in a, in a public context. But I want to say, this is the principle, and this is not me going, ah. because the Bible says, he who refreshes others will he himself be refreshed. There was a place of refreshing that we needed. It wasn't even about the money. You know what I felt? I felt people were with me. People were for me. People loved me. People were taking care of me. That's what I thought. That was worth more, way more than the money. I just thought the whole world wasn't against me. There was actually people who did love me. And I was refreshed. We were refreshed. As a family, we were refreshed. But I actually believe, and like I said, this isn't scoring barren reports. We have sowed into refreshing others. And we will continue to sow into refreshing others in the days ahead, by God's grace. Whether we have much or whether we have little. Why do we give? Because we want to. Because it's our heart and our attitude to give to God. Let me just quickly say, uh, I've got three minutes. Let me just say quickly, the church, this church, needs people to give. It needs people to give of their time, their involvement, their energy, and it needs people to give of their money. Malachi 3 says, bring the tithe into the storehouse. Let's not, let's not faff around here that there's none of this, well, there's 5% for church and 2% for this ministry and 2% for this ministry and 1% for this ministry. I'm telling you, that isn't how it works. It's 10% into the storehouse. Just bring it into the storehouse. And anything above and beyond that, and this is how we live, anything above and beyond that, we then sow into other things so that we're sponsors of this thing and we're sponsors of that thing. There's two or three things that personally we're sponsoring that makes it go beyond that. We're not taking the tithe that needs to come into the storehouse. Like I said, you're not going to lose your salvation. <laughs> but I'm just trying to point out a principle. It's there for a reason. Bring it into the storehouse, the local storehouse. Because the church needs the finance to do what it needs to do. We give a tenth. Because it's an offering. And God wants us to be givers. Because he wants to make us into his image. His image. We are made in the image of God. But unfortunately our character is not formed in, formed in his image. And why does he ask us to give? Because he wants to form his character in us. He wants us to become more like him. God, at the very core of him, he is a giving God. For God so loved the world that he gave. When we tithe, the rhythm of our life changes. We, we actually march to a different beat. We dance to a different sound. Yes? We just become freed. It's like sunshine, blue skies every day of every week. I'm telling you, it's true. If we're living just on the basis that we have a blue sky and we have a nice sun and it's a bit of warm, we've missed it by a million miles. Giving frees us up. In every area. In every area. So, very quickly, within two minutes, giving is five things. First of all, giving is a reminder of his ownership. Giving is a reminder of his ownership. And every time we give, it reminds us that he is the owner. And we are the steward. So we give... 
because he's the owner over our lives. Secondly, and those are the, the message uh, two weeks ago, you'll, you'll, you'll know these other things. We give because we want to provide for his work. I'll just say it again if you weren't there. Just as your house can't operate effectively without income, neither can God's house. And it relies on everybody to play their part. Thirdly, as we give, we prove his faithfulness. We read passages of scripture that make no sense. One gives freely, yet gains even more. Here's the other paradox. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. So the more you keep, and you think you've got your money, you'll end up with nothing. And we prove God's faithfulness over our lives. Fourthly, we give because we want to provide the needs of others. Because we have a global, global perspective. I said to you before, Matthew 25. This is why I've gone to these notes again, because they're so outstanding, these notes. Knocks the reminder with Charles Stanley's four points. Provide for the need, need of others. I want to reiterate again, very quickly, in the time that I've got, there are 145 million orphans worldwide. Actually, if every household in the United States opened up their house, there would be no orphans. There are 1.75 billion people who are desperately poor. And there are 3 billion who earn less than 2 pounds per day. And there are 1 billion people now who have no access to food. They're dying of hunger. Want to go on? Each year, nearly 2 million children are exploited in the global commercial sex trade. That's why we give. Because that's the whole issue. It's not about sex. They have no way of getting out of it. Can you get that? Let's, let's lose sight. They're being sold because to get money. Because they can't eat. And a mere 2% of the world's grain harvest would be enough to erase the issue of hunger and malnutrition around the world. If, you're in, if you earn 25000 a year, you're in the top 4% of wage earners today. If you earn 30000 plus a year, you are in the top 1% of wage earners today. I give because I want to have a global perspective. And lastly, fifthly, as we give, we properly honor God. We properly honor God. I want to say we can change our family tree by training our children to give, by them seeing us tithing. I'm so pleased that Abigail's been here, and if I can say this, my two eldest. I'd already said to the guys, my girls, I'd insist them. It wasn't optional. It was mandatory. They had to be here this morning. Thank, thankfully, they wanted to be here because they thought they were going to get a nice bre brekkie. And probably Abigail's the same. And I'm sure there's some things that have gone over their heads, some things, but some things they'll heard and understood because I want them to get it now, these kids of ours, because I want them to change the pattern of the world. As I close, Malachi 3, it says the last few verses there in this whole issue to do with giving, it says, test me in this, says the Lord. Test me in this, says the Lord. Now somebody once said, if you tithe for 90 days and if you like it, quit. I don't like that phrase. Because it almost like, well, try it, try it for 90 days and if it doesn't work, you can have your money back. 
Now, I know that wasn't what it was on there for, and Julie kindly helped me with some of the structure of the, of the notes, and I'm sure that's what, not what they meant. I tithe because the Lord tells me to, and I want to be a fully devoted lover of Jesus Christ, and I want all areas of my life to be in line with what he says. I'm on a journey. It's a big journey with me. But in this area of finance, I want to do better. And I want to get the principle of giving. Let's not be selfish and stingy. Let's live with big hearts. Let's book the trend in the United Kingdom. All give me your attention and I will be finished. I get really teed off when there's talk about America and Australia as being really big givers. And they are. And we're, you know what we're classed of in the world? Above all the things of being stiff upper lip and whatever, and being tight. I'm talking now in the world. In, in the world, and when we draw it down to the church, it's well known. The British Church. If you ask people from other continents, they'd say it's tight. Come on, let's book the trend. Let's live with generosity in our hearts. Let's be givers in all areas, and let's see God do incredible things in and through our lives. Thanks for your time and your attention. Thanks, Phil.